um, an infinite number of returns to God because we're going to talk about our infinite God today. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, here we are. Open our hearts, open our ears to hear exactly what you want us to hear. Help us to take whatever you put on our hearts and use it to point to who you are, to your glory, to your majesty, to your man magnificence, to your infinitude. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Okay. God is infinite. Okay. Are y'all tired of this slide yet? <laughs> if you can define it, it is not God, says Richard Rohr. And I feel like he may have been studying about God is infinite when he came up with this at, with this uh, phrase. That's just my opinion, but after doing this study, this makes sense to me that it would have been one, a word like infinite that kind of made him go, we just can't understand it. <clears throat> so what I'm going to start with today is just the word infinite. As usual, we have taken a word used to describe the divine and modified it to suit our needs. We use words like boundless, unlimited, infinite, but they're not really our words to use. They're only God's. Infinite is a word that we have minimized by using it all the time and by using it for worldly things. For example, as a mother with a small child, someone may say to you, oh, I see you with your child and you just have infinite patience. No, no, you don't. You don't. Or sometimes when we talk to our children, we say, the possibilities for you are infinite. I mean, that's sweet to say, but that's not true either. <laughs> infinite cannot be used when referring to anything created in this world. Nothing and no one is ever infinite. It may seem to us that there are some things that are infinite, like when you look at the stars. But in Psalm 147.4, as we learned today, he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. So even though we can't imagine how many drops of water are in the ocean or how many grains of sand are on the, the shores, the truth is that there's a limit to them. They are not infinite. They are, in fact, finite. We can measure everything that God has created. We can measure the mountains. We can measure energy. We can measure, me measure gravity. Infinite is a word that can only be applied to one thing ever, and that's God. The problem is we can't help ourselves. We were created to use measurements <laughs> as a way for accounting for ourselves and for other things. That means we measure as a way to understand our place and who we are and what we are. We use it to define our limitations and our imperfections, our achievements and our failures. We measure our place in society. We measure time in the world and so on and so on and so on. A.W. Tozer says that measurement is a way we see the works of God's hand, but not the way we see him. So let me give you a few examples. We can describe someone as tall or short, fast or slow, rich or poor. We can define time as now, later, before, after, these kinds of things. They make sense when you compare to something else. What is tall? 
Well, you usually talk about something that's short when you're talking about tall, right? So that's what, see what I mean? It's like we measure things against each other. And our human nature is such that we're constantly trying to understand things by giving them some kind of measurement. We are kind of obsessed with measuring. We can be comforted, comforted we can be motivated, we can be discouraged by measuring. We can build things up or we can tear things down. We can expand and we can diminish all these things by measuring. Measuring helps us to understand ourselves, but only if we are trying to define ourselves by worldly standards. Do you see how important measuring is? I don't think measuring is a bad thing when we apply it to ourselves. It's okay to measure yourself. It's okay to see where you are and where you need to be. But we shouldn't use it when measuring other people. When we use it to measure other people, it, it can become a problem because it can really be just a way to disguise being judgmental. The real problem occurs when we start trying to measure God because that's a sin. And I'll come back to that in a few minutes. We cannot measure God because to be God, he must be infinite, which means immeasurable. God and everything he is, is immeasurable, but that doesn't stop us from trying. God is not simply a bigger, better version of ourselves. Everything about him, his love, his mercy, his power, his majesty, his knowledge, his grace, everything you can think of to, descri to describe God is infinite, which means it makes it beyond our understanding. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, imagine according to his power. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about this immeasurable thing that God is. We are the ones with limits. God has no limits. So when we honor the true definition of infinite by saying God is infinite, we are saying it's impossible to measure him. God has no beginning, he has no end, he doesn't have length, width, height, he cannot be contained in time or space, he exists beyond our universe, he's not constrained by the past, the present, or the future. God is greater than our minds. If we could conceive who God really is, that would make him less than us less than our minds could fathom. God's qualities and attributes are infinite and perfect. Remember, he is God and we are not. All that God is, he is without growth or addition or development. He is never less, he is never more. He is what he has always been and he will be what he always has been. His capacity is without end his understanding has no limits. His presence is everywhere. All of God's qualities and attributes are maximized in their perfection. They cannot be greater and they cannot be limited. There are no edges to God's presence. There are no pockets or areas where he's missing. We can never reach the end of God we can never reach the end of his presence. We can never reach the end of his power. 
or anything else that he is. So here's our problem. As human beings, we are the complete opposite. We are limited in everything. We have a limited lifespan. We have limited resources. We have limited knowledge, and so on and so on. So how can we really conceive of God being limitless? How can we understand that God has no measure? Because God is greater than our human language can reveal. So we can't say how great God is. He can say how great he is, and he can show us how great he is. And he does that in his word and through his Holy Spirit and through his son, Jesus Christ. That is how he describes himself in his infinitude. So here we go with another fun little slide for you all to dissect later on. This will be on the website. The Old and the New Testament are filled with scriptures um, that, that point to God's infinitude. Um, because his, in, his infinitude applies to everything that he is. But there are three attributes that are most often used to explain God's infinitude. They are omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. I'm gonna, we've studied these already, but I'm going to take just a quick minute to go over what, what we know about these. First of all, God cannot be limited in space because he's omnipresent, which we learned means he's present all places, all times. 1 Kings 8.27 says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Isaiah 66.1 says, This is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Psalm 139.7 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And Jeremiah 23.23 says, Am I a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? God is not limited by time. Exodus 15, 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Psalm 92, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is omnipotent, which we learned means he has the power to do anything he desires. His perfect power highlights his unmatched ability over all creation. Psalm 19.1 refers to God's power in creation by stating, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God in heaven, he does whatever pleases him. God is omniscient which we learned means his knowledge is perfect. He knows all things that have ever existed, that do exist, and ever will exist. 1 John 3.20 says, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. So when we put all these attributes together, we know that God has no restriction in time or space. He knows everything. He's everywhere all the time. He can do whatever he desires. He knows everything about everything. God is infinite in knowledge, power, and presence. He is above and beyond all human limitations. In everything that we can think of, everything that we can imagine, God is immeasurable. He's without limits. He's without end. So I want to go back now to what I said 
about measuring God is a sin. When we measure God, what we are doing is we're putting limits on him. And in limiting him, we are trying to bring him down to our level so that we can understand him. We are stripping him of his majesty. We are trying to make him human. And in doing that, we are elevating ourselves. So we're making ourselves gods of our own lives. When we do that, there's no mystery to God. He can't overwhelm us. He can't surprise us. So what do you think? Is that sinful? I think it is. God is majestic. He's powerful. He's awesome. And he's frightening. Rather than trying to find him, we need to just sit in the wonder and awe and mystery of who he is. Remember when Moses asked God to show him his glory and God made Moses hide his face in the cleft of a rock? because he said no one can see the face of God and live. That's from Exodus 33. And think about Saul's conversion in Acts 9 when a blinding light flashed around him and he was thrown to the ground. How about that for some power? And what about Lot's wife who was turned into a pillar of salt because of her disobedience? That's Genesis 19. God is fierce and majestic and powerful beyond our human comprehension. When we try to define God, we are putting him in a box of our own choosing, <coughs> making him something that we can be comfortable with, someone who we can understand. But when we are doing this, we're creating a false God because the one true God cannot be contained. Any God that we can fully understand and explain is not the God. The one true God is beyond our understanding. Remember, God is beyond anything that can be thought. Now, I've got a slide from Aristotle. The great philosopher said, perhaps the best we can mean by calling God infinite is that our knowledge and enjoyment of his presence will never be exhausted. Our ideas of God fall so far short of God that we can't really even know how wrong they are which is kind of funny when you think about it. Um, so the more we try to define him, the more we try to understand him, the more specific we make him, the more we limit him, and the further from being the true God that he is is what we're understanding. Our infinite God must be infinitely unknowable. But I think this should excite us. This is what should draw us in. This majesty, this mystery, we don't need someone who has the same limitations that we have. There are plenty of us to mess things up. We need someone who is infinitely greater. So what does that mean for you and for me today? How should we leave this lesson? What should we understand? Well, A.W. Tozer says we must think rightly about God, which is, I think is a really interesting statement. I think that means we need to take a look at the boxes that we've built around God in our lives. We need to acknowledge where we've tried to limit him in our lives. So go ahead and ask yourself, what kind of box have I put God in? I think it probably won't take you that long to figure out there are several. So I did that. You want to hear what some of my boxes are? I know y'all do. <laughs> this is just to give you a little head start. I definitely put God in a box in my prayer life. How often do I think something is far too big 
for God, or the opposite, far too small. He couldn't possibly care about this. Neither of those is true. And see what he says about that. In Ephesians 6, 18, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Nothing is too big or too small for God just because I think it is. I put God in a box when I decide that something is just impossible to change. It could be something like a broken relationship, or it could be something as big as world peace. When I put him in that box, I've forgotten that nothing is impossible with him. And that is from Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I put God in a box when I think I know what's best for me, for people that I know and love, for y'all. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 8.2, I love this one. Anyone who claims to know all answers doesn't really know very much. <laughs> That's humbling. <laughs> and Romans 8.27, he knows us far better than we know ourselves. So are you getting the picture? Believe me, I could tell you boxes, I could fill this room with boxes that I've put God in. So what is the answer to this problem? How do I stop doing this? Well, first of all, we have to remember who God is. We need to return to him with fear and trembling and reverence. We must remember that God designed us to need him and that we need to be ourselves with him. I love this quote from Blaise Pascal. Pascal. It says, what else does this craving, this helplessness, proclaim that there was once a man a true happiness, was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Isn't that beautiful? That true happiness of man that once existed, I think, was when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and walking with God. It was before the fall of man. That empty abyss in our souls that we have all felt and all still will feel is the result of that sin nature that we're born with. And I just think this is such a beautiful thing to remember that deep soul yearning that we have, that infinite abyss we all have can be filled by one thing only, and that's by the infinite God. Infinite fills infinite. Honestly, I could just weep sometimes when I think about it. It's just so powerful and so loving and so moving. But the thing is we have to take that first step. Do you remember what Jesus Christ used to do all the time? He went away and he prayed. He sought his Father in silence and solitude, and I think that's missing for a lot of us. Again, kind of small, but I'm going to read these for you. And trust me, this is just a, a fraction of all the times Jesus prayed. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. That's Hebrews 5, 7. 
Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. Luke 3.21 After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Matthew 14.23 After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Matthew 6.46 It was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Luke 6.12 in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place. And he was praying there, Mark 1.35. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray, Luke 5.16. Jesus, who we know is God in human form, knew that communion with God is not simply a choice it's an absolute necessity. We must return to this practice of withdrawing, as Jesus did, to meet with God in silence so that he can remind us who he is. He can tell us who he is, and we can remember why we adore him. So what could this look like for you? What do you think you can do to bring yourself more intentionally into that silence and solitude with God? Lately for me, it's been the practice of contemplative prayer, which I have come nowhere close to mastering, but it's basically, basically taking about a 20-minute time period twice a day to just sit in the presence of God, to try and still your mind and, and just feel the presence of God. Um, there's so much information, if you're interested in that, that online. Um, I was comforted recently when I read something that said, don't expect for this to work. Don't expect to even understand it for about six months of your practice. It's harder than it sounds to find this silence and solitude in this world to spend with God. But it's important. And there's one thing I can say with absolute certainty, and that is as frustrating as our human limitations are, we have a God who has no limits, who we can turn to for comfort anytime. Because with him, time does not pass. He never hurries. He never worries. And with him, we gain eternity through Jesus Christ. God is there for all eternity. So let's keep going with what we've already started with this year in this study. Let's work to understand God more as we become more knowledgeable through his written word and through his holy, the revelations of his Holy Spirit. God has and will reveal himself, his character, his nature, his word, his everything through his word and through his Holy Spirit. He calls us to come to him and to know him. Now, this is the last slide, and I just love this slide. And I love this scripture, <clears throat> and I think, I just want, want you all to close your eyes for a minute. And I'm going to read this scripture and I just want you to sit in it just for a minute because I think there's, there, there are not many scriptures that if we pay attention to can bring us to this place as well as this one does. Be still and know that I am God. Lord, you alone are infinite. 
and you alone are worthy of our praise. Thank you for that. You alone can fill that infinite abyss in our souls that entered us through sin. Thank you for that. Help us to really understand the importance of sitting in your presence and of resting in you and of the infinite comfort that you can give us. Help us to recognize when we're trying to put limits on you so that we can let go of them and just rest peacefully in your infinitude. Thank you for your patience that waits for us to really see who you are. And Father, I ask you today to help us to remember that you are God and we are not. And for that, there can be no, great, no bigger thanks. And I ask this in the Son, in the, in the perfect, infinite name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.